listening to Assurance in Action, the podcast of your total quality assurance provider, Intertech. Uh, today, our podcast was recorded live in Austin, Texas. It will be discussing mitigating food fraud in the supply chain with guests David Mule, Jorge Acosta, Laura Nelson, and William Mule, uh, all from Intertech Business Assurance and Alchemy. So please enjoy uh, mitigating food fraud in the supply chain. organization determine that food fraud has actually taken place? Laura, if you want to take that one. Um, sure. So, um, you know, uh, it's funny. Uh, there's a number of news. Um, some of these um, news stations, that's how they um, generate some stories is they start calling laboratories and saying, hey, I want to do an expose on, you know, um, whether or not sea bass is sea bass. And so they'll start calling, you know, local laboratories. And and um, typically we don't like dealing with those folks. But, um, you know, once you once you have a, a food fraud situation that's taken place um, or you suspect it, um, the, the thing you need to do is to be have been prepared for that uh, question mark. So you get a product, um, you suspect that it's um, adulterated in some way. Um, you need to have a spec that kind of gives you an indication there's something different and have a, a testing protocol that would help you identify exactly what the issues are. So if we're talking about um, honey, for example, and you suspect that there's something going on, you need to have um, have a tight enough spec that you understand what that what that uh, analysis should look like and have a relationship with your laboratory to um, to be able to identify the tests that you need. So if you need a sugar profile done to help um, determine yes or no, this product is or is not adulterated or whatever those tests might be. So having that established testing protocol is absolutely critical, particularly on these high risk products and and knowing who you need to go to for that testing and that sampling and establish um, and, and establish that protocol and knowing how long those tests are going to take so that you can uh, hold that product um, that's suspect and get that data back. Um, uh, and, and oftentimes, like I said, hopefully it's those employees that raised their hand. Jorge had a great example of the shrimp that have identified something and then you as an organization know exactly where to to sample that product, send that product off for analysis, and get that testing done. Um, obviously, depending on what the results are, is going to be um, a, a broader response. But having a, a, a testing protocol ready for those high-risk um, products, those products are very expensive. We've we've talked about the list um, is is really critical. And remember to keep your guard up. I mean, if it's if the price or whatever is too good to be true. I mean, it's a competitive market out there. Everybody's looking for the edge to get their products uh, at the lowest price because a lot of people are buying just by price, a lot of um, industry. So if it's too good to be true, should raise a flag. All right. The next question, which I think all of you can answer, uh, but we'll start with you, Laura, for this one. What preventative measures can be implemented within a company or their supply chain to reduce food fraud? Right. Well, it does start with that vulnerability assessment, and um, and I I didn't touch on the training that that 
vulnerability assessment team needs to have. But, you know, thinking like a criminal is it doesn't come natural to me. I don't know about everybody else, but <laughs> it, it it's a it's a tough thing. So uh, typically what we see is that that vulnerability assessment team needs some special training to talk about, gee, what is this thing? And, and you know, what are the the myriad of different ways that these bad guys are, are are trying to pull the wool over our eyes? So letting them know about dilutions and substitutions and counterfeiting and all of those things is key for that team. And oftentimes we see the need to bring in experts that have that live and breathe this world and 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 you know, I guess can easily think like a, a criminal to help identify those those um, items. And there's tools out there that you can use um, to um, Jorge was talking about globally trying to identify those things. So there are certainly tools that you can use um, uh, available to to scan the horizon, which is so critical. Um, so the vulnerability assessment team is is absolutely hugely important. And, and keep in mind, this is not a okay, uh, we're going to verify our HACCP plan and for the annual check mark. This is ongoing consideration that you need continued visibility to, you know, scanning those high-risk products, uh, ingredients that you may have so that you can respond accordingly. Um, these, these, these bad guys are, are very um, wily, and so they're going to try to do things uh, very creatively. So as testing catches up, the criminals get a little bit smarter and a little bit more creative. Um, the other thing I think on preventative controls is tightening up your spec. You know, for years and years, we've focused on food safety for our product specifications. Um, and um, we slowly added quality aspects to our specification. But I think some of these other items, more physical, for example, so we look at color, um, specifications. What what should that color range be? It shouldn't be any lighter than this color or darker than that color. And having those readily available is critical. Um, some of the densities and, and more of the physical aspects are really important. So tightening up those specs and then sharing, obviously sharing that with your supplier is critical. But then matching that again with uh, eventual testing protocols. And I can tell you that some of these testing protocols are 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 not common. Um, when you do speciation on on products that you you don't know if it's uh, beef or, or cabrito or goat, then you know it, it takes a it takes some very um, elegant testing, and some of us just aren't used to to that. So having conversations with your local chemist at your laboratory to say, okay, given the situation, what kind of testing protocols do I need in place, and how how can I tighten up my spec so that um, I can share that with my supplier and, and by the way, push that tra- uh, testing down to my supplier so that they are providing me that, that data and assurance that this product is what they're saying it is over a certain period of time. So that's, that's hugely critical. And then in addition to those tightened specs, I would say, um, and we, we've touched on it already, but knowing your supply chain is absolutely critical. So, Everybody has those favorite suppliers that they tried and true. They've been dealing with them for years and years, and they have a great relationship with a lot of trust. There's a transparency that goes back and forth. Hey, we're we're producing uh, or, you know, we're pulling tomatoes out of Salinas, and now we're moving to Mexico, and it's going to be a little different color here. Don't worry. And, and having that feedback back and forth is absolutely critical. But But that's not the relationship people typically have with every supplier. So, 
the other spectrum is those new suppliers that ha you have or those suppliers that are globally that you can't even really communicate well with. Those are the folks that maybe have a, a slightly higher risk just because you don't, you, you know, you don't have that relationship with. So concentrating and, and enhancing your relationships with your suppliers is, is super important. And then I think David touched on, um, also the, the, the aspect of, um, getting that verification of those suppliers is critical too. So some sort of auditing process and certificate of analysis that you're receiving back and forth. Yeah, maybe just um, uh, it was a great point there about the criminal mind and understanding that. Uh, I'm sure a few of my friends could help you out. But um, the other industry that really suffered this and learned from it was the airline industry. If you think about 9-11, who would have thought that could actually happen? One of the actions that was taken as a result of that was they actually pulled together some of the top Hollywood producers and did a brainstorming session because these guys were coming up with those ideas long before it happened. It was the unthinkable. And you have to try and understand what is it that you don't know today. And the problem is we limit ourselves to our thinking of failure modes to what we know. Potential failure modes should be those that can happen, although remote can happen. Uh, so it was a great, uh, you know, just that idea of understanding, you know, where's your vulnerabilities and how do you pull in these experts? There's a great example. It's been done in other industries already. Okay. I, I would like to add a couple of things. I, I think that uh, well, what Laura just mentioned, is, it's, it's, it's crucial to truly understanding the supply chain. But the tools that Bill um, actually mentioned uh, during the initial session that, how can you complete an accurate vulnerability assessment? And they say, well, you know, let's use a HACCP approach when we are determining the risk. And now here at Alchemy, we used to use the HACCP approach when about three years ago to, the, to complete a vulnerability assessment where we basically added uh, the EMA, the economically motivated adulteration, as another potential hazard within the HACCP besides the biological the chemical and the physical, we added EMA. However, as we evolved from that, we don't use that approach anymore, and we use an actual vulnerability assessment, basically a matrix that consists of 10 questions that starts asking by, well, is the ingredient a susceptible for, I mean, it's a high price ingredient that can lead to substitution. Questions like that. Are the ingredients being sourced from countries that are known to substitute without naming specifically those two countries or three countries that I just mentioned? And we start going down the list and really looking at that. Now, one of the biggest, bigger questions in, in this field is whether or not that ingredient or a similar ingredient has been recently in the news as being exposed. And how do we know that? How do we know if those ingredients have been substituted and the only way we're going to know is we have to know what's going on in the world, not only in the U.S., not only in Canada, but we have to know what's going on in the U.S. And there are some tools that really monitor these type of topics globally on a day-to-day -day basis. Unfortunately, these databases are paid subscriptions, but I think in order to truly look at and get a good handle of whether or not those ingredients have been substituted, we have to know. Uh, the Prior to FDA making uh, food swap mandatory for, for all food processors, 
there was a database that was free. At the minute the FDA made it mandatory, well, guess what? It is no longer free. Now you have to pay, right? So that's one base here in the U.S. And then there is another very good website, another good database, excellent database coming out of Europe. Uh, so those, those are some very tools. Are we allowed to say what those tools are or? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the one that foodfraud.org used to be owned by USP in the U.S. Now it's owned by the CERNIS. The CERNIS database is one very good that they've been collecting data for years and years because they used to be owned by USP, uh, United States Pharmacopeia here in the United States. Globally, there is a very good tool, tool called Horizon Scan that is an awesome tool because it not only look, doesn't only look at food fraud incidents, but it also looks at food defense issues, looks at recall globally and not only domestically. So I think that in the global economy that we live in, it's crucial that we see what's going on in the world, not only in, in our backyard. So we really, so I think truly knowing, staying up to date is key and completing a vulnerability assessment that looks at the right issues, at the right questions, that ask the right questions that go above and beyond the food safety issues. And we're looking primarily at the economic gain that could lead to a food safety. So those were all great things of how do you monitor what's happening. Now, Laura, when you were talking about the communication of, with your suppliers, do you have any examples of tools that could be used to bridge that gap of communication between between the supply chain? Yeah, um, there, um, there's a number of tools. Um, we have some tools that um, that help manage um, supply chain and, and reduce your risk um, and happy to uh, discuss those um, and there's there's any number of tools out there um, and that's absolutely so critical I know we worked with a, a company uh, a global company that asked us to help them and we applied one of our, our um, supply chain tools in light with that with them and we were looking at um, onboarding their suppliers um, they have global suppliers throughout the world and um they the first step is to to get those suppliers to upload their food safety programs right so that demonstrates their their um ad adherence to the to the programs and um we got stopped on that first step because uh come to find out what they thought were suppliers was actually brokers and they didn't know that um you know, they weren't talking to the actual manufacturing plants. So so there was a reason those brokers were sourcing from multiple suppliers behind the scenes. And so there was a reason for this inconsistency in the variability that um, that 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 our customer was experiencing. So um, I, I do think uh, for some I, I know um, we deal with folks that have, gosh, uh, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand plus suppliers. I mean, these incredibly complex um, companies that are that um, really have a huge challenge on their hands. And so supply chain tools um, like the ones we have in light and there's any number of those um, on the market um, to really capture uh, your supply chain, gain commitment um, so that you have some visibility of what they're doing in their documents and you're able to keep up with those. And then importantly, these tools really help focus on those higher risk suppliers for any number of reasons. Perhaps it is geography or perhaps it's um, just some gaps in what they've uploaded in, in some of the reviews. And we can help then follow up 
um, oftentimes, or a company can look at that and use the tool to say, okay, I only have so certain resources. I'm going to go to these these three suppliers because they're the biggest gaps I can see, right? And focus your attention on those. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Thank you for listening to Assurance in Action. Uh, please feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, uh, please feel free to follow the links in the description to the full recording of this event uh, from Austin, Texas. Um, and please also uh, follow us on social media at uh, Intertech Business Assurance, Intertech Alchemy, uh, on, at uh, Intertech Business Assurance, Intertech Alchemy.